kind of uh, occasion like this just notice the effects in the mind brings up a certain kind of uh, quality of attention certain mood whereby an idea like that New Year's Eve tomorrow another e- new year begins you see the effect of that particular perception on the mind you know, suddenly causes one to we stop and we actually look at that thought causes us to consider well what was last year about what we've been doing in 1995 how did it go and then what about next year what's that going to be about what should I do what should I carry on with what's the kind of um, continuum of it all and so we can actually look at this in a in a skillful way this can bring up <coughs> skillful uh, considerations on practice. Start with the feeling of going, going, the feeling of of like uh, going from beginning to ending. Just that, the simple recognition of thing, something like that. Like now's the end of this year. So what? <laughs> and then you know so that that kind of feeling. Or was it, you know, what it, so what have you got out of it? You know, running around for 365 days. Here we are, like we, you know, it's cold, it's dark. Uh, tomorrow, another day, and so on. You know, it gives you, gives you a chance to just consider, reflect upon. Have your activities been? Where have they been going to? What have they been about? What have they achieved? What do you carry with you? What do you carry along? What what do you take into the next moment, next year? What's worth taking with you? And these are good things to consider. Um, So if we like, this is almost like a reflection on, the Buddha said, reflect on death frequently. This is the death of this year. So what? what? What was that about? And uh, of course, if we look at it skillfully, if you use that skillfully, it perhaps it helps one to 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 feel to to look at it with some perspective, thinking, well, don't get too caught up in it all. It all changes. Um, the things we've struggled over and and worried about are now in Feb- February last year, in May last year, the the drama of May, the crisis of June, the the interesting time of July, the ho-hum of August, the, the weary tedium of September, the glory of October, the gnashing dread of November, <laughs> the frantic busyness of December. So what? <laughs> you know, you can kind of look at it like, it can give you a feeling of, of a reflection to say you find a a cool point in your uh, cool point in yourself, a point of coolness to to realize how these things that seem very powerful 
actually that they change, they come and they go and so, so we're prepared perhaps the, to take to live our lives, you know, looking for something some some sense of con- some sense of stillness or point of reflection outside of ordinary the ordinary flow of events. This is a helpful way, helpful means. Of course, if we if we look at it, uh, if we extend it into a kind of philosophy, then it becomes unskillful, because then we can get to the position of, well, it doesn't really matter. It's all a waste of time. It's all empty. No point in doing it. It's all so what. You know, we can make so what into more than just the kind of uh, a means of of deflating our our. Uh, Attachments, we can make it into another attachment. So attach, attaching the feeling of valuelessness to to everyday experience. There's no point in any of it. Or, or to somehow extracting ourself from experience into some kind of separate state, whereby we become separated from experience. So there's a kind of an aloofness non-involvement um, and even a, a kind of smugness that can come up and this is definitely uh, one of the uh, you know, the way the mind swings from from a kind of position of being totally enmeshed to a position of being somehow other than all that and uh, this uh, second position the first position is obviously painful Second position doesn't seem to be seems to be a little less painful. We can kind of say, well, go with the flow, be here now, roll with the punches, whatever you like to put it. Everything's all right on the other shore. You know, and all this stuff <coughs> is just a dream, and uh, a passing show, and our real what we really are is beyond all this. There's a kind of you know certain comforting thing, but statement but then it, it means that we often uh, don't really listen we don't really we're not really present we're, we're kind of philosophical rather than present we're not actually vulnerable we're not actually open to experiences we don't really let them touch us we kind of stay in the other room looking through the window watching it all pass and change and in this there can be a lack of uh, immediacy, uh, lack of compassion, and also uh, a kind of this, this self-experience that, uh, that we're so often warned about, migrates to the other shore. <laughs> and from the other shore we can be quite, uh, we might quite patronizing to people. And, uh, you know, All these people are getting involved with all the caught up with all these sorts of things or attachments, you know. It's a kind of know it all, uh, and that's so that's a certain that's something quite attractive to that.
Uh, for, for me, this uh, occasion is uh, the last night I'll be in Chithurst Monastery for uh, several months. Normally I'm here most of the time. I kind of go away for a little bit now and then, go and give talks and so on, but mostly I'm kind of here or available. And then for the next uh, six and a half, nearly seven months, then I'll be deliberately unavailable. So, to me, it's quite, a, you, know, you can see this, it can be something I could feel quite poignant about. What's the final blinding diamond teaching I shall give on my final <laughs> night? <laughs> and, you know, my lo- Lord, what can I think of? It's going to be the final, ultimate solution to everything. <coughs> So you can you can bring up that kind of reflection, which isn't terribly skillful, or it can be well. I guess give another boring old talk, you know, so they'll be glad glad to glad when I go, making people happier. <laughs> These are, but the ways ways to use perceptions and ideas that are helpful to deflate one's attachments. We should always use perceptions and ideas techniques and systems to just to, to let go, to deflate rather than to, to inflate, to become something. Mm-hmm. Now we can become either positive or negative. So I, I can think to myself, well this is my last night, phew, thank goodness I'm out of the hot seat, get out of this place. That would be a, a that would be a kind of a, a wrong, an unskillful attachment to that idea. <coughs> or I could think it's more like um, you know how great it is being here, and kind of attached to being here, or you know attached to being here, or attached to not being here. And it's rather like attachment to getting involved with things, and attachment to to getting you know to being non-attached. So sort of this idea of kind of being separate from everything. And these are positive, if you like, and negative forms of clinging. One clinging is to, is to avoid things, to push things away. The other clinging is to hold things. But all of them, the, the characteristic, the sign to recognize is a sign of permanence, a sign of selfhood. And the sign of permanence is the, is the, um, <coughs> it's the easiest one, but permanence is really a kind of relative st- it's a relative state I mean, not, not, we can easily recognize that ev- everything is kind of is not really permanent and yet we make definite statements we say oh it's this way oh it's that way so we're, we're attributing a particular quality or characteristic to to life to ourselves to buddhism to each other to the future and to the past they're saying it's a waste of time or it's great or it's fabulous or it's empty or it's it's karma or it's stuff you've got to work with you know and it can be either we can see it as joyful or painful and then we kind of keep readjusting our statements to try to get a, a kind of permanent overall statement about it what it what it is who we are are we are we 32 loathsome parts? Are we five aggregates? 
Are we some kind of unconditioned space beyond it all? Are we the knowing? Or are we the forgetting? <laughs> are we ignorance? Are we letting go? Or you know, it's still that, that the the hunger for some kind of permanence and self lingers behind so much of our ways of recollecting and trying to form judgments on things. Mm. And uh, so in and it's also affecting the way that we act, you know. In, in my life, then the last 20 years or so, it's been very much involved with, with Buddhism, Buddhism, Buddhist monasticism. So that we can make this into some kind of permanent entity or self thing where we, we want to make more of it or we want to make it better or we want to develop it we want to spread Buddhism, we want to enhance Buddhism, we want to revitalize Buddhism, we want to uh, integrate Buddhism, we want to make uh, Buddhism more available, we want to find ways to make all, all Buddhism kind of fit together into something. Buddhism in action, Buddhism in inaction, green Buddhism, Pink Buddhism, <laughs> and these can, you know, so we can do something. We can do it that, but the, you know, and, or starting monasteries and things. But actually, you know, you just kind of reflect on this. These, these, uh, what, how how we use these ideas and these act, these notions. Do we use them skillfully or unskillfully? Do we use them to bring up a kind of compassion and energy and attentiveness and a, some sense of having a focal point that you can work with? You know, you have you've got a conventional role, if you like, as being a Buddhist, or you know, and you can work with that. You can use it as a standard to to contemplate your lethargy or despair or fascination or happiness with. And, you know, you're not. You're not actually trying to make a permanent thing out of it. You're using it as a, as a, as a, as a measurement. Because the only thing that, when it comes down to it, the only thing I can keep recognizing is as I'm trying to practice. I'm trying to actually come to terms with, and the the the, the moods and feelings, and emotions and thoughts that happen to me, happen right here. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to kind of sit back in some little glass clay case, watching it kind of blob on the on the outside, in some kind of position of being other than all this, and kind of contemplate it from some supposed point of detachment. Nor does it mean that uh, um, one is going to kind of be following every feeling and thought, worrying about it, or acting upon it. But to find this place where where we recognise whether the where we <coughs> where we where we're making things permanent and self, we make ourselves seemingly permanently other than thoughts and feelings, or making ourselves believe in our thoughts and feelings. If we we try to adopt the position of someone who doesn't believe in their thoughts and feelings, we tend to get a kind of uh, 
conceited, you know, and, and in, in a way of, of feeling that we're other than everything else. We get very much involved with our thoughts and feelings, and we get uh, uh, we fall into a kind of ideological standpoints, trying to find the right sorts of thoughts and feelings and ideas and projects and so forth that are really good and useful. Now these these are ways in which we can, you know, we use these, we use our activity and we use our stillness to contemplate what's underneath them, what's underneath our activity. Not that we shouldn't be active, not that we shouldn't be still, but what, why are we still? Are we still in order that we don't want to, we don't want to feel things? Are we trying to be still so that things won't touch us? Or, or are we being still in order to, to stop running away from things? Now, to my mind, then there are times when I'm being still in order to not feel things. You know, it's like a basic defense system. Phew. And they recognize that, you know, when it's like that. And, uh, and if there's enough uh, faith and enough clarity and enough mindfulness, then the, uh, then the stillness can be that which is I'm still because I want to stop running away from things, stop proliferating of things, stop creating stuff, just to see what it feels like. Not to not feel, but just to see what it feels like. So our stillness is a kind of an abandonment of a position rather than a finding of a position. And our activity is not, you know, it can be, it's, it's something that we can use in order to to get us in touch with feelings, <coughs> thoughts, body, experiences. To bring up a kind of an energy of commitment, an energy of attentiveness, an energy of mindfulness. Something you can actually recognize what's happening. Activity tends to uh, if we if we, uh, can bring us out of control. If you know, if you're particularly if you're in situations where you're active with other human beings, you're always going to find this uh, conflict, some kind of conflict. It doesn't have to be profound, you know, rage, but there's going to be disagreements, having to all negotiate, get you know, giving up something. Suggesting something, trying to you know, you watch all this stuff, and um, <coughs> activity. If we act, if we do it, in the, if we follow it in the right way, keeps reminding us that the point is not about achievement; it's about engagement. That is the real learning of achie- the real value of activity is not what we get at the end of it, but what we get through going through it. Right. So often, in when we do uh, um, this workshop project, for example, is a state of you know we've got this thing up here now, building. Now, for a, we can look at it from a kind of philosophical position, say buildings have risen. Well, this is great for world Buddhism, you know. <laughs> Or we can say a building's arisen, what a waste of time, it's just another condition in the universe that will fall down again, you know, and have to keep working. We can look at it from a positive point of view or a negative point of view. 
or we can say it's really good because Buddha, you know, monks are out there working, getting involved with things. It's really good for them, you know, to, to sort of get off their zafus, <laughs> get you know, get active and all that kind of thing. So I think you adopt a philosophical position, or it's really bad for them because they they weren't practicing. They were out there getting all caught up with power tools and and bashing things on the roof and not really looking at the defilements. But the real point, you know, the most valuable experience, the thing we kept coming back to, and the thing that was about this building here that we kept, that we actually brought up when we started the project was, will this be something that will actually be a good practice for the community? That is to learn, you know, to make a commitment to, to working, hard work, long period of time, being with a a select group of people and watching, you know, and practicing what comes up. Because once you start to select people you're with, then you've you've begun to find who your enemies are. That is you <laughs> once you've kind of kind of closed the door on possibility and it's become actuality, it's no longer potential, then sooner or later, rattling around inside that little box of commitment you're going to brush up against each other's uh, tender spots. So that, that's something that we undertake. And that's, where, that's what Buddhism is. I mean, it's like that. It's like creating situations where we go into, some of them we call Buddhist situations or conventional Buddhist situations, meditation retreats, um, all-night sittings and so on. Some of them are slightly different, you know, like... Uh, work projects like this one or things like that but all of them have the feature you set up a you set up a context and the context may have a, a skillful point to it and it's a good idea it's not harmful and then you you watch what happens within it what happens with, with any any of these contexts that you set up and rather than kind of being philosophical about it uh, you know, we we drop that and we go to the immediacy of what it's about. The immediacy of, of what happens to us. What happens. And the tendency to form, we can witness the tendency to make those experiences into ourself. So, as you many of you probably know, you just the... Um, astonishing quality of, of a meditation retreat. How can how can, you know, sitting in silently be such so so uh, dynamic, such a such an agitating, despairing, joyful, uh, busy, dull experience. How can it be so multicolored just sort of sitting there? You know that 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 that, that com- because of what commitment does of closing the door of possibility, and then within ourselves we find something is always trying to make a pattern, make create a, a pattern that we can be, and and life refuses to allow that. So out of this experience of not being able to kind of create ourselves, we find all kinds of mini-selves, half-finished selves, get half-created and then start to conflict with each other. 
So when you do practice meditation, you know, what's it what's it like? You know, you probably start off and you think, well, if I just just sort of sit here and be, you sit here and be for a while, and then something in you wants to think about what we're going to do tomorrow, or what the next project is going to be about. So there's a conflict, isn't there? We started off just sitting here being, and then we go into so then the then the next party comes up. In the mind says, okay, let's get down to some meditation technique. So, right, do some body sweeping. So then that one new self comes along, says, right, we'll do some body sweeping and a panasati. Right, here we go, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then what happens? And then, then that goes on for a little while, and then another one comes up and says, no, new game, new scenario. We would just um, um, you know, go to the sound of the who. Ask ourselves who is who is meditating, who who who. We do that for a while, and and then it changes, doesn't it? And each one of each one of these little things comes along is is making a judgment about the experience. The last experience wasn't good enough; needs to be developed, needs to be changed. And then this one will be the one where you really you know you get solid, and you you get into something permanent. And fixed, and you, you know you are that. Once you are that, you've got it together, and you know you, you've made it. You're, you've sat, you've been satisfied, and it never, but it doesn't actually gel. You recognise because it is impermanent. It changes. The pattern, the patterns are impermanent. They are called sankharas, mental activities. They're accompanied by volition, motivation. The motivation can be positive or negative. It can be slight. It can be kind of very subtle motivation. It can be powerful, passionate movement. But it's got that quality to it. These are sankharas, patterns, and. Sankharas are rather like um, like fleas, you know. They have this flea about big fleas have lesser fleas upon their backs to bite them, and lesser fleas have smaller fleas, and so on ad infinitum. <laughs> so these these patterns have got kind of smaller patterns on top of them. You know. The patterns are about seeking pleasure, seeking conviction, seeking achievement. Mm. So we can kind of, but these are things that we also are, they're impermanent. And yet when we begin to recognize them, we make them permanent. We feel we are pleasure seekers, we've got a lot of karma, we've got these tremendous outflows, and so on. So we make them into ourself again. But they're actually actually tendencies, karmic tendencies, they're sankharas. And underneath, we, we find underneath the patterns is the pattern that wants to find patterns. So you have these, the underlying patterns are, the, the, are the, the, that which seeks to find a pattern. We call it wanting to belong, wanting to mean, 
wanting to know, wanting to be. Things are called bhava, becoming, pattern of trying to, we call it getting it together. This is a sort of sense of being something. This is a very fundamental underlying patterning process. And these other, that manifests through the activities that we make either externally or psychologically or contemplatively. And then on top of those, we find things like the search for for pleasantness, the search for uh, um, achievement experiences, the movement away from what's irritating. Now, if we, the, it's always e- uh, the practice that when we begin to recognise the the. Uh, the way the mind works, you can see it seems so vast and so complex and so so saturated with these these tendencies. And we can feel we look at it, my goodness, how can I how can I do how can I do about that? Well, how can I deal with that? And so the same thing happens again. You know, the same thing happens again. So that the the practice is actually one where we're not trying to make even deal with it in that sense of you know having a, a technique or having a viewpoint or being somebody or being separate from it. We're actually witnessing it or experiencing it in a in a mirror-like way. We were saying earlier the quality of the Buddha's enlightenment is this, this earth-touching mudra it's called the mirror-like wisdom in that it just witnesses it, it just reflects things it reflects everything it's not, it's not trying to reflect things it's not trying to say what a good mirror is it's not looking at itself saying mirror your mirror you're really great you've really got it now it's just noticing it's witnessing the arising the ceasing of Sankaras, of these patterns, of these formative tendencies. And that's, that's what the Buddha's realization experience was. That's what, when we practice, we come into that. This is the, this is the, 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 the mode of practice for realization. So actually, the, the the solution is a is a is a very simple one. Utterly, utterly simple. Yet the the Buddha himself taught for many years, recognizing that to 
bring to bring the mind to that simplicity to realize that simplicity to get that direct then certain certain processes certain sankharas are necessary but they're necessary and they're skillful as as being channels as being the conduits as being something that we work with rather than adopt as our own or as ourself or seek something or seek fulfillment through they're there as count as like as counterbalances as something to 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 reflect off to bounce off <coughs> to, to 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 notice with And he felt that this was so important that there was no possibility of realization without conditions. So he said, I I teach a liberation through conditions. I teach the path of the unconditioned through conditions. I say there's no liberation without conditions, without systems, without practices, and without coming to terms with without experiencing conditioned reality there's no liberation because it's in this conditioned reality that we have the chance to 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 witness the nature of impermanence the chance to actually uh, understand how conditions are created how they're believed in how how they're made permanent, how they're made self and once we understand that how that process can be relinquished now when you you are like if you're watching the way your mind speaks for example notice the, the inner inner monologue of your mind how it speaks just you know just consider that sometimes we you know we we want to meditate in order to to stop thinking to shut up to be quiet we don't find thinking is gives us a very homogenous feeling it's disruptive it's often foolish it's it's pat its rhythms are agitating so you know, stop thinking meditate um we can't always do that What's it like when we witness our thinking? We try to understand, not just thinking as a sound, as a kind of energy passing through us. You can look at it that way. It's just a natural energy passing into the mind. But then what are the actual patterns of our thought? How do you think? What are the kind of familiar uh, mind patterns that you go through? So that you you can learn about the the patterns that you're, you're that you that catch 
that, that make, make you solid. And you can even contemplate this in the way you speak. So often, particularly if the speech is not, it's just accidental, it's kind of coming out habitually. Just catch yourself, wi- watch and listen how you speak. One of the, one of the experiences of, of Sangha, the developments of Sangha life, is to, is to learn to, to, to help each other, to say, you know, do you know what you sound like? Yeah. You know how much kind of frustration there is in your <laughs> the language you use, or agitation, or resentment, or dismissiveness. Yeah. How kind of how how patronising you can sound. You know, not in an aggressive way, but just to look. Here's a mirror. Not this is not this is not bashing you with the mirror. It's just here's a mirror here. This is one one of the uh, real values of of a sense of kalyanamitta, of spiritual friendship. We can actually present each other with a mirror. A very valuable thing because you, often you can't, you don't take the time to notice your thoughts. You either think them or suppress them. You either believe in them or you deny them. You know, we cling to one extreme or another. Notice one particular tendency is the is the throwaway. If you have a, the throwaway gesture of the mind, oh well, you can't do that. Do you ever find your mind doing that? And you get to a point, oh, it doesn't mean you can't. There's no point thinking about it, and it just does that. And we do that to to other people too. Really. Well, you just have to put up with it. That's all. Or, or a kind of way in which one's one's feelings are are just dismissed. Like, well, that's life. You know, what can you do about it? Next topic, jump. It's almost like you're going through customs, and you say there's nothing in this bag, uh, and you're trying to go through. You're trying to smuggle something in. So you you kind of do this quick flurried gesture. And what's in that? What's in that bag? Of hasty dismissal, dismissiveness. What's in it? Fear, tenderness, some kind of a feeling that we don't want to actually acknowledge. And so, thinking often gives you indications of what what is being covered up. And if you contemplate the patterns of the thought the thought process the particular sounds the oh I've got to do this sounds or the I can't do this sounds where actually you can recognize in those underneath uh, there are all kinds of little bags of unrealized feeling that we're not recognizing in ourselves and some of these these thoughts are extremely well cultivated. They're, they're saturated with dhamma. Some of them. <laughs> it's got the attachment to views, and we can get quite skillful at it. Well, back, you know, that's the way it is. We can use that as a kind of don't look in here. Uh, dismissal. That experience. 
just to notice the kind of when we come, we start coming with stock phrases in our mind. Some of them are Buddhist, some of them are Dhammic, some of them are just kind of more little bleats that have been going on for decades. Mm-hmm. What name do you call yourself in your thoughts? What does it, what does it come up like? Is it, oh, you idiot? <laughs> Is it like that? Do you have a, do you have a kind of a, a way in which your thoughts actually talk to you? Do they talk down to you? That's kind of the way. It look, look at the way it happens. Do they, do they accuse you? Do they kind of point the finger at you? Are you, do, are you trying to, are you kind of frightened of your thoughts? Do you cower before them? Do they nag you? Do they say you should be doing this? You know, you never do this on time. Are they like that? Mm-hmm. And then we we begin to recognise this kind of that in us which wants power. That in us which wants rightness, that in us which wants love or companionship, that in us which wants to be n- known, that which wants to be comforted, that in us which wants to be glorious. And these these actually are pretty embarrassing. They are they are unnerving. But if we were to, for the ending of dukkha, the ending of suffering, you have to, you have to actually open up to this stuff. I was saying to some people the other day just how you know when I um, practicing is a teaching teaching Dhamma you know I'm a Dhamma teacher I teach Dhamma big you know big big cheese that I am teach Dhamma that's who I am and uh, you know for a little, it can be the sort of areas that get slightly convinced by that areas of the mind actually think, oh, you know, that's what you should be doing. It's a good thing to do, and it's valuable, and it's noble thing to do, and it's you know really try the best you can at doing it. That's what you know. That's the duty. That's your proper thing to be doing. That's the most important thing to do. And you actually believe in that stuff as some kind of ultimate statement or or something that's. But I notice whenever I do, it always ends up with suffering. Because I find it behind the desperate need to feel one is actually helping people. I'm not against helping people, but, but the actual the sense of, I want a response, you know. I want people to walk out of here starry-eyed. I want people to walk out of here with their lives all straightened out, in order, liberated, committed, deeply involved, Cheered, comforted, so that uh, you know you find yourself looking, wanting for some, wanting some sign, and some sign, sign back. And I found this extremely uh, valuable, in some ways, 
actually just recognizing that's that's what the mind is doing come up with something that will get a response I mean it's not an unskillful thing it's just that to understand you know, looking at the unskillful taint within it and the, in these monasteries this is a very useful thing it's, it's, a monastery is a great experience for that because by I mean, living with a group of monks they don't they don't want to hit they don't care anymore they've heard it <laughs> and all they ever do is look at the carpet and you think and it doesn't matter what you do they still look at that carpet and you, you know you give funny talks they look at the carpet you give <laughs> profound they look at the carpet and you ask for questions they look at the carpet you think where's in that carpet what <laughs> 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 How come that carpet's more interesting than I am? <laughs> so you can make the whole thing into a very much a kind of personal experience. You think, well, but everybody's living their own lives, aren't they? You know, I'm not the centre of everybody's life. Why should why should I be? The kind of the thing that everybody everything re- rotates around is there to kind of egg me on and make me feel good and be illuminated and so on. So then one, you know, it's not that we don't, don't do these things, but when actually you try to teach, when you're teaching, you're practicing. You're practicing with your own feeling of, oh, I've got to come up with something good tonight, what haven't they heard before? I'm going to show them where it's at. <laughs> kind of those, those moods, those patterns of behaviour, of mental activity. Look at that. And then, you know, the more that one is able to actually uh, not hold any of these. You find a, a, a sense of great, uh, great love for human beings, mm. not because of what they are, but just because of what, where we all are. There's something incredibly lovable and humorous and wonderful about it all. You know the the efforts we make in order to try to reach each other. And yet, when we stop making the effort, and we recognize that and we put it down, then there's a feeling, there's this sense of openness and non-separation. Meaning of, here we are. This is the moment. It's like this. And a willingness to, to experience and to relate to and to empathize with and to support each other on the path. Not from a position of, well, you know, you should snap out of that. Well, don't you know, it's all you know, too much attachment. Well, I tell you, the problem with you is you're not mindful enough. <laughs> kind of things. <laughs> and don't you realize it's all so easy? All you have to do.
But when we find that when we're coming to this point of practice, we reckon we're using our the role we're in, or the position or the activity that we're in, <coughs> to look at the compulsive patterns, the compulsive despairs, the little kind of well, I'm using oh, yeah, I can't do it, I hope yeah, no point. Those kind of noises. Or the well, this is great, and this is the way it's going to be. And <coughs> those kind of noises. This, you know, as as change, as just that impermanence, change, which we're open to, not adopting views about it, witnessing it, feeling it out, hearing it in others, listening to it in others, accepting it in others. So it's a kind of this. This is the the point of of practice and results. You could say there's no in this point of practice. There's no there's no uh, delay. It's immediate. There's no well because of. There's no you know, should or ought to. There's no and then you get this about it. There's the, the you, if, you, if you do it, something in you recognizes this is the only place, to, this is the only place that there is. And you know, what does this year, next year, tomorrow, today, what does it all have in common? Whatever the forms that, that arise and pass through it. It's, the, it's that, it's what we, it will always be the same, won't it? So, and I keep, you know, as I find myself with the last few days, patient, people ask me, are you looking forward to, to going well? No, I'm not looking forward to anything. Doesn't mean I'm dreading it either, just don't I don't tend to look for because I'm not going anywhere, really. You know, really, I'm not going. I mean, kind of conventionally speaking, when I'm going somewhere, but really, where am I going to go to? Another feeling, another thought, another sense impression, another consciousness, another mood. Well, you know, stay here will be the same. <laughs> you know, it's it's, and people say you're going away. No, I'm not going away. I'm sure I'll be with me wherever I am. (laughs) 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 Every morning I wake up, it's me again. How did I get here? So it's not a place, you know, we recognize there's no, you know, there's comings and, because of the, the comings and goings, the way you contemplate comings and goings, and you're really open to them. The variety of them, you're not kind of squashing some down. One is able to accept the, 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 str- the, you know, the silliness, the strange moods, the habits we have, the griefs, the sorrows, the excitement, the, the joyfulness, the whatever. As, as that, change means, makes, it all, makes it all possible. Change it makes it all it's a it's a kind of vehicle that we can, it's a it's a reference that we can we can uh, can take all of it 
why it's a dhamma. It's a, a kind of fundamental teaching of the Buddha is change. Fundamental pointer is change. And when there is a the reason why we're still stuck is because there's some things we haven't allowed to change, we haven't allowed to arise, cease. There's some patterns that we're still kind of rushing over, holding back. And the the result of all that is there's a feeling of being something, defending ourselves from something, or trying to get into being something else. That's the residue, that's the result of not allowing not allowing change, not allowing the, the mood or the feeling to arise and pass. Yes, that's what you get left with. So there's somebody here still anxious. Someone hasn't accepted their own death or their own worry or their own silliness or their own fear as it is. Because of that, they're here they're stuck they're still pushing things down they're still manipulating they're still shoving things away they're still looking for something to do to not feel it to not have it happen to them there's that restless becoming when we can accept all of it uh, the feeling of doing the best you can and getting no thanks for it, the feeling of uh, having so much more to do, the feeling of being unable to do anything, feeling of being misunderstood, or the feeling of being understood, feelings of separation, feelings of communion. Then we, there is that all these strengthen the point they all polish the mirror brighter the fundamental means is always going to be about commitment there's always going to be being held into something in order to, 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 to stop covering up being held into to a, a responsibility, a moral commitment, a form of some kind. That's going to be always going to be part of it. If it's done skillfully, if it's not done in order to avoid or to, to a sense of conceit, but the application, the commitment, the sense of, of that something that restrains us on one level and something that obliges us in, in the opposite direction. Those are the those are the simple contours of a of a form of training, a form of discipline that you kind of consider and and use in your life. And within that, it gives us a way of, of really uh, getting in touch.
when, when you commit yourself, make sure it's not, you know, committing yourself to uh, another view, another philosophy, another attachment, another person, another kind of identity experience, either yourself or another person, not making those commitments not making a commitment to a particular uh, technique you can you can practice with them but you can't you can't make that kind of commitment to it it's not so it's a, it's these are things that we use within our commitment because these are all have the way they're they are powerful ways of of pulling us away pulling us into absorptions or pulling, pulling us into attachment you know the Sense, sense, sense contact, which includes thinking, where we can get really caught up, carried away with just uh, intellectual schemes, projects, and so on. We have the attachment, which is about attachment to um, views, opinions, philosophies, sense of you know de- detachment as a view, you know, being somebody who looks and witnesses things. And attachment in terms of attachment to systems and practices, and all of these are things that bring us towards attachment to self, to to ourself as being something, to ourself as what as something that we want to be, as a kind of fixed entity, or to the way we project these things onto others. So we're making a commitment is towards recognizing, waking up, knowing how it is, a change of life. Not changing from this lump to that lump, but a continual kind of flow in which there's nothing that can really be held, grasped, formed out of it. Then we begin to experience a a kind of uh, a lightness Awakenness, a kind of uh, affluency in life, and there's some strange when we've almost when we've given up on it, some strange unshakable peace, the peace of the mirror. So, offer this for your reflection. <coughs> Um, 